0: A lot of people say, oh, you know, you believe that Jesus is coming back? I say, yeah. And you have to realize that. If you really think about it, the Christian faith, the Holy Spirit has to inspire that faith in our lives because we believe that Jesus died, was dead for a long time, rose again, ascended bodily into heaven, and that one day he's going to come back on the clouds in glory. That's kind of wild if you think about it.
1: Yeah, a lot of what we Christians believe seems crazy or even stupid to the world, All of the things about Jesus, who he is, and what he did when he was here the first time. But if he is who he says he is, then the things we believe aren't outside the realm of possibility. Pastor Daniel is going to show how the faith to believe in Jesus being who he is goes in a direct line back to Noah, who believed that God told him and acted on it. Now here's Pastor Daniel in Genesis chapter 8, as he continues his message called The Flood.
0: Let's open up in our Bibles, book of Genesis chapter 8, as we continue our study here through the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 8, it actually picks us up right in the middle of the account of the flood. Now, It's important for us to realize that the flood that Noah was preserved through is something that actually happened. I think we live in a day and age where you have to remind us of this because sometimes people want to say, oh, there's absolutely no way. I mean, it's just all myth. Even just yesterday on Facebook, I was commenting on an interaction among some people and they were like, oh, you know. Jesus and the Bible, it's like Star Wars. It's just an epic myth. I went to a liberal arts college, so I learned that stuff too. You know, they just say, there's no difference between the Lord of the Rings and the flood story. And people who are very well educated, who spend a lot of money on their education, learn those things. You know, and then you start to talk with them about it, and you say, oh, you know, you know, oh, how can you really believe in the flood? I'm like, well, listen, there's more than 200 Cultures have their own flood account. 200 different cultures in antiquity had a flood account. It's like, hello? You know? So yeah, it's a big myth, but 200 different cultures had it in different parts of the world. Fascinating. So this is something that actually happened. And oftentimes in the New Testament, the flood is referenced by Jesus and the other writers for different reasons. Like in Matthew chapter 24, Verses 38 and 39, it says, For as in the days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Wow. What that says is that the return of Jesus, which is the hope of glory for all people who put their faith and trust in Jesus, the reality that Jesus is going to bodily return to the earth, just as it was in the days of Noah, life was just happening until Noah and his family entered the ark. Jesus said, just the way that was, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. And I think it's important that we make sure we realize that because, you know, a lot of people say, oh, you know, you believe that Jesus is coming back? I say, yeah. And you have to realize that if you really think about it, the Christian faith, the Holy Spirit has to inspire that faith in our lives because we believe that Jesus died, was dead for a long time, rose again, ascended bodily into heaven, and that one day he's going to come back on the clouds in glory. That's kind of wild if you think about it. But people always say, oh, I mean, how could you believe Jesus is going to come back? And I'm like, well, listen, the problem isn't with Jesus coming back. The problem is with the resurrection. Because if Jesus was resurrected from the dead, him coming back is no problem at all. So if you ever get into a discussion with someone, they're like, oh, you know, how could you believe Jesus is coming back? The discussion isn't about his second coming. It's really about the resurrection. It's about the implications of the resurrection. But Jesus says, in the days of Noah, life was just happening. People were just doing what they were doing. They were living life. They were eating, drinking. They were getting hitched. And it was just happening until Noah and his family entered the ark and they didn't know and then the flood just came. And Jesus said, so will it be when the Son of Man returns. So this is the way it's happening. Now, don't forget about Noah. In Hebrews 11, verse 7, it says, By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. So Noah shows up in Hebrews chapter 11. We call it the Hall of Faith. You guys like the Hall of Fame? The Hall of Faith, it's there in Hebrews 11 to give us reminders of these great men and women who believed God and how God used these people. And for Noah, it was a simple case of obedience. Now we pick up in Genesis chapter 8 verse 1 where it says, Then God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the animals that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth and the water subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven were also stopped and the rain from heaven was restrained. And the waters receded continually from the earth At the end of 150 days, the waters decreased. Then the ark rested on the seventh month, the seventeenth day of the month, on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters decreased continually until the tenth month. In the tenth month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. Now, we made the point, especially in verse 1, it says, and God remembered Noah. And if you're a critical reader, you'd be like, wait, you're telling me that God forgot about Noah? Like all of a sudden God was just hanging out on his heavenly throne and he was just thinking about something. And all of a sudden it's like, oh wait, Noah? Oh yeah, he's in the boat and he's got animals there. And I made the point that it wasn't that God like, kind of had a senior moment and kind of spaced out. I mean, I can't even blame seniors. I mean, we all have that, right? Where sometimes you just forget. This happens in my house all the time. For those of you who have kids, you know what this is like. Where you stick something in the oven, and then mayhem happens. And all of a sudden, you like smell that burning smell. And you're like, oh! And you go and you find your toast, and it's on fire in the oven. Some of you know what that's like. See, when we say that God remembered Noah, it doesn't mean that God had forgotten him. It really speaks of this covenant language, that God had made a promise and he was being faithful to that promise. God is acting in accordance with his earlier promise to Noah. And I think it's important for some of us that we need to be remembering the covenant that God has made with us and the covenant that we've made with him. See, I don't know about you, but mission creep happens to all of us, doesn't it? You know, you start heading down a certain road. You decide, I'm going to do this thing, right? And then what happens is is life happens, circumstances happen, and you began going one way, but little by little, you start veering off course. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you must have never been on a diet. Because you guys know what it's like. You know, the first four hours of a diet, you're just like, yeah, Skinny jeans, here I come, Woo! you know? And then all it takes is to go into like the break room at your office and there's like some red velvet cake. And for the first couple minutes, you're like, "Ah, oh, I don't want none of that. Here I come, smaller version of me. And then you know what happens by the end of the day, right? You're on your third red velvet cake piece, you know? Mission creep. That's mission creep. That's what it is. You had a plan, and then you just took one bite, right? I mean, once you take one bite of the red velvet cake, what's well, three pieces, right? It happens so quickly. And for a lot of us, our spiritual lives are just like that. Man, you got saved. God grabbed a hold of your life, and you were off like gangbusters. I mean, you were going to take the world in the name of Jesus. It was just, there is no stopping you. But then life happens, and things happen. Things don't turn out the way you expect, and then all of a sudden, before you know it, you're like, oh yeah, I used to be like that young, newly saved person who's zealous. I used to be like that, but, you know, mission creep, you see? The reality for each one of us is simply this. God remembers His covenant faithfulness with us. We need to get back to remembering what God has promised us and what we've committed to for him. For some of us in our marriages, we need to return to the commitment we made to our spouses on the day that we got married. When we had children and we saw to ourselves, man, we're going to raise our children in the training and admonition of the Lord. I'm going to read my Bible to my kids. I'm going to pray with them every night. I'm going to pray for their spouses. And I'm going to do this. And when you got your job, I'm going to be the best employee ever. Some of us need to remember the way God remembers to fall back on the faithfulness of who we ought to be in God's kingdom. Now, God remembers Noah and the ark, and it says, And God made a wind to pass over the earth, and the water subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven were also stopped, and the rain from heaven was restrained. So what happens next is simply that all of the rain, the rain that was coming from the windows of heaven, things that were coming down from above, whether it just be clouds or it was in effect. Remember we talked about when God created the firmament of the heavens, that there was a water encasing around the earth, and that that could have dumped in. Whatever that was... And I'm fine with however you feel comfortable with that. Whatever that was, that stopped. And the waters from the earth, the tide that rose, both of those stopped. And the waters subsided. And in verse 2, it says, The fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven also stopped, and the rain from heaven was restrained. Verse 3, And the waters receded continually from the earth. At the end of the 150 days, the water decreased. Now, it rained for 40 days, and now it says it takes 150 days for the waters to be decreasing. So you realize that we're talking about here from the time that Noah and his family get getting to the ark until the waters are decreasing. You're talking about 190 days. So we're talking about over six months' time. Now, from there it says the ark rested in the seventh month on the 17th day of the month on the mountains of Ararat. So now we get a location where this happens. Now, Mount Ararat is in modern-day Turkey. And there is all sorts of writings from around the time of Jesus, both some centuries before and after, about people actually seeing it. Now, as I said, I didn't research all of them, and I am kind of skeptical because I think the chances of a boat, even waterproofed with pitch, for it to last that many thousands of years is, I think it's, unless God wants it to, it, it, it would be a miraculous keeping. So the reality is, because is people always ask, well, where are the fossils of this? I'm like, listen, well, you know, our houses start falling apart in 30 years. So you can imagine, you know, a, a boat that was has pitch on the inside. So the reality is, is that now on the seventh day, on the 17th day of the month, now Noah's Ark comes to a resting place. And what's interesting is in Exodus chapter 12, the 14th day of the seventh month becomes the first day and the first month. So it's fascinating that in this restarting of humanity, now right around the same time, that's where they start their calendar in Exodus chapter 12. So what does Noah do? In verse 6, it says this. So it came to pass at the end of 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. Then he sent out a raven, which kept going to and fro until the waters had dried up from the earth. He also sent out from himself, verse 8, a dove to see if the waters had receded from the face of the ground. But the dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot, and she returned into the ark to him, for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and drew her into the ark to himself." And he waited yet another seven days, and again he sent the dove out of the ark. Then the dove came to him in the evening, and behold, a freshly plucked olive leaf was in her mouth, and Noah knew that the waters had receded from the earth. So he waited yet another seven days and sent out the dove, which did not return again to him anymore. Now this is fascinating. So what happens here is that Noah... He feels the boat resting, and he still waits for a time. And then he sends a raven out. He sends a bird out to see what's going on. And it says simply that the raven just flies around. It went to and fro, but it never came back. And then in verse 8, he sent out a dove, and the dove found no place to rest the sole of their foot. And she returned into the ark to him, for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand, he brought the dove back. Now, if you've read your Bible at all, you realize that birds have significance in the scriptures. You have the raven, who according to Leviticus chapter 11, verses 13 to 15, was an unclean animal. A raven was not to be eaten. And the reason it was considered unclean was because the ravens eat roadkill. That's what they do. They eat dead animals. And so according to Levitical law, any animal that eats other dead animals is considered to be an unclean animal. And you might say, well, why would that be the case? Well, simply because God loves life. So many of these Levitical laws, and I can't wait to get to the book of Leviticus with you all, and I promise it won't take me 150 messages to get through Leviticus, but I kind of would love to teach it that way, because the book of Leviticus Although set in a time and space, there's so much insight into the heart of God and so many parts of it, like people always say, oh, how can you believe the Bible? Why is a woman considered unclean when she has her monthly visitation? People always say that, right? you talk talking about, why would you believe that? Well, you have to think about it from God's vantage point. That monthly visitation is the potential for life that never happens. And so it's not that God's unclean, you're bad. It's just that life that could have been birthed, didn't have a chance to live. It's meant to show the people that God loves life. God cares about life. And that even the potential of life that isn't fulfilled, in some ways, there's a resting period after that. See, oftentimes we just, especially when we look at it with a skeptical point of view, you're like, oh, God must hate women. No, 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 no. He doesn't hate women. I don't want to get off on a total tangent. But it's interesting that in cultures, That the gospel is never touched. They have the worst records of human rights against women. Look at any culture that doesn't have the gospel of Jesus Christ. And look at how women are treated. You're going to tell me that God doesn't like women? You're going to tell me that Christianity is oppressive to women? No, 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 no. No, 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 no. You can't get away with that. It's interesting that in a culture that women have all the same rights as men, they'll say, oh, well, religion's bad for the dilemmas between the sexes. I'm like, you have to be kidding me. I'm like, if you grew up in a country that wasn't founded on the Bible, women wouldn't even be allowed to learn how to read. We were horrified when we found out what the Taliban were doing in Afghanistan, weren't we? Women weren't even being taught how to read. Jesus was the greatest champion of women. All through the scriptures. So I get up on this tangent because ravens were considered to be unclean animals, unfit for consumption. But then, of course, you have the dove. And who is the dove the symbol of? The Holy Spirit, right? The dove throughout the scriptures is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And what's fascinating is that we know in the New Testament, when Jesus is baptized, that the Holy Spirit descends bodily on him like a dove. And the dove has been historically a picture of peace. Now, preachers make all sorts of applications for this picture. And what's interesting is that as a Bible teacher, you realize that you can kind of make these things mean really whatever you want. If you study historical theology from different generations, everybody has a different picture that they want to bring out of this. And I think the reality is, is that Noah really used a raven, and he really used a dove. But I think what's fascinating is that when the dove found no place to rest, it came back. And if the dove is a picture of the Holy Spirit, the question for you and I is, has the Holy Spirit found a resting place in your life? Because what's interesting is that the raven, the raven who's unclean, has no problem that doesn't have a resting place. It just goes and goes and goes. Some preachers say that it's a perfect picture of the flesh. The flesh that just keeps going has no problem. But the dove goes on out. When it doesn't find a place to rest, it returns back to its owner. And I think the question for us should be something like, Lord, does your Holy Spirit feel comfortable indwelling in my life? Lord, is my heart a dwelling place for your spirit? You know, we've been going through this series that we just finished, the knowing series from John 13 and 17. And all of the teaching about the Holy Spirit and who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives. And I don't know about you all, but it's really easy to go to church. It's really easy even to serve. And it's easy to live life and be a Christian, but really not sense like the Holy Spirit is really at work in my life. And I wonder sometimes if part of our problem is that we can trust a lot of other things other than the Holy Spirit. You know, it's hard to trust the Spirit of God when we have access to so many human means to do things. Now, when you say something like that, most people would then say, well, you know what? So we should get rid of everything so that we have to trust the Holy Spirit. That's the falling off the other side of the horse. I think the key for us in 21st century America is to learn how to be radically spirit-dependent in the midst of a world that we have a lot of opportunity. That is a big, big thing for us, isn't it? Lord, can I be totally dependent on you with health insurance, with credit cards, with a big house, with a second freezer? Can I really be led by the spirit and not trust in all of those things? The beauty is to whom much has been given, what? Much will be required. So God has blessed us with so much. Can we let the Spirit lead us in how we lavish him upon the world through our means? And even the poorest person in this sanctuary right now is still radically wealthy by the world standards. Do you realize that 2.4 billion people on this globe today is living on less than $2 a day? Have you ever tried to live on $2 in one day? That would be a fun experiment, wouldn't it? If someone was to say, hey, look, for the next 30 days, we're going to live on $2 a day. Could you imagine that? No. I couldn't imagine that. I mean, most of us blow double that just on a coffee. And not that a coffee's bad, per se. But imagine living your whole life on $2 a day. So no matter what we have or don't have or how we sense ourselves stacking up against somebody else, the question really is Is that man? we have been given so much in this country. We've been given such privilege. And can we, with such privilege, allow the Holy Spirit to use our lives? Does the Holy Spirit have a resting place in me? Does he have a resting place in you? Has the Spirit been able to set up shop in your heart and in my heart. Redecorate the interiors of our lives. We believe that Jesus dwells within our hearts, right? But does he feel like a visitor in our hearts? You know, it's like, have you ever visited someone's house? Stayed with them? I remember in my younger years, when before I was married, I did a lot of couch surfing. A lot of it. And it's kind of a weird thing when you're the couch surfer, right? You have no say over what's going on. You're just happy to be able to lay your head on
1: the couch. It's hard to imagine what it would be like to be in a huge boat with hundreds, if not thousands of animals to care for with your family. But Noah and his family did just that. As Pastor Daniel shared, that's the kind of faith that gets you in the Hebrews 11 Hall of Faith. But the amazing thing about that faith we learned is that it's not a special kind of faith. It's the kind that we can all develop and live if we're willing. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. I realize that there are many of you, you're
0: not a born again follower of Jesus. You've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. But as you've been listening, you've been saying to yourself, I want to begin to follow Jesus. I want to help you do that right now. We're going to pray a simple prayer that just acknowledges who Jesus is in your life. Pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I'm giving you my life. Thank you for saving me. I believe in you, your life, your death on the cross, and your resurrection. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. For those of you who just received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm so excited for you. I want to help you take your next steps with him. So pull out your mobile phone. Text the word SAVED to 51400. S-A-V-E-D to 51400 and my team will get in touch with you. We
1: want to get some more resources in your hands to help you on this journey. Next time on Jesus is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will continue his teaching on the Great Flood. He'll be talking about when Noah and his family actually get off of the ark and what was different as the result of what the flood had done to the earth. Pastor Daniel will speak about having the simple faith that Noah did and how his willingness to simply obey God resulted in his doing what we recognize as an incredible act. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through his series called Origins next time. Until then, may God bless.